Good morning, everyone. Thank you, Renee, for that, leading that prayer. It's been a joy to know you and Tim for many years now and uh, to see you here again. It's, uh, it's so good. Uh, Matt was reminding me this morning as we were praying together before the service that um, I had been here a few times before. I preached on the truck bed over here when uh, you were worshiping outside. I preached in the, uh, the great room or the all-purpose room, whatever you call that room over there. I preached in the sanctuary to a camera when there was nobody else here. That was probably the strangest preaching experience. And, uh, you know, I think, just tell me where to go. I'll preach for you, you know. I'm up for it. I hope you're up for listening. We'll see what God has to say this morning as we're here together in the sanctuary. And, of course, welcome to you who are online as well. We're glad to have you join us. We're going to go to Luke chapter 18 and 19 this morning and uh, watch our Lord Jesus Christ as he does a little bit of disrupting. The title for the message is one that I gave to uh, your bulletin secretary a few weeks ago, and I've rethought it. Uh, the title I think I gave, uh, Walls in Jericho are tumbling down again. I thought that was kind of cute, uh, because of course we're all aware of the story of the walls coming tumbling down when Joshua led the Israelites into Canaan. And now we have a story of Jesus in the same city, of course many years later, and, uh, and he's doing some dismantling of things. And I thought, oh, that'd be, that'd be kind of cute. Jesus has walls coming, tumbling down again. But I'll tell you what, when I, when I started to work through the message and think about how do I you know, weave that in, it just got to be work. <laughs> so I thought, you know, there's got to be an easier title. Um, so I, I'm good with this. And, you know, I'm content that it made it to the bulletin here. But... I'm thinking of Jesus the Jericho Disruptor. How does that sound? Is that all right? We'll just make that title B. How about that? But let's go to, uh, to Luke chapter 18 and 19. We're going to be beginning at verse 35 and carrying through to chapter 19, verse 10. Um, and I want to have you picture the confusion on the disciples' faces. Every time Jesus says to them, when he's looking towards the city of Jerusalem, in the, in the direction of Jerusalem, I'm going to be going there to die. And this, the disciples, uh, they've got to be going like, what? You've told us the, that you're the Messiah. Messiahs don't die in Jerusalem. Messiahs go to Jerusalem, take the throne, kick out the Romans, reign in power and have all the nations of the earth come to them. That's what messiahs do. They don't die in Jerusalem, Jesus. But just before our text, Jesus will say it again for the third time in Luke's gospel. I'm going to Jerusalem to die. And again, the disciples are thinking to themselves, oh, Jesus, 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 do you not know what a messiah is supposed to do, supposed to look like, supposed to be? Do you not know how he's supposed to raise the nation that we belong to to great heights so that we're adored and, and, and admired by all the nations of the earth? Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. So friends, Jesus has some teaching to do. And he's a master, a master at seizing the moment and delivering what needs to be taught. We're going to see him do that twice this morning in our text. Um, and before we dive into the text, I just want to give you a heads up to a couple of things 
that were common back then that maybe aren't so common today. Things you need to have in the back of your mind as we work our way through this text. Number one, it was customary in the ancient Near East that when a VIP came to town, someone like Jesus, for example, when a VIP came to town, the townspeople and the leaders in particular would go out to meet him. And you could tell just how important that VIP was by how many people from the town participated and how far they went out of the town to meet the person coming in, okay? So that's something we don't do today, but it's certainly something they did back then. They went out to meet the person who was coming uh, into their town. The second custom that I want you to be aware of as we're making our way into this text is that when the VIP came to town, it was customary for him to stay in the city. It was not customary for him to select where he would stay. The townspeople did that. They said, we're going, to, uh, we're going to identify the most impressive home in the city, the village, the community, or whatever, and we're going to have the VIP stay here at this most impressive residence of the most important family. And maybe you can imagine why that might be, because you like to impress the VIP. It's pretty nice to impress someone impressive. So that was a custom. And uh, a VIP like Jesus could expect to be escorted from a distance into the town, number one, and then number two, be shown where, the, where he would stay for the night. Jesus is going to change a few things, okay? But he's got a reason. As I said, he's got some teaching to do, and he, he's a master at seizing the moment and teaching the things he wants to teach, teaching the things he wants his people to know. All right, with all of that said and done, let's go to our text, Luke chapter 18, verse 35. And again, noting that the text immediately before is where Jesus has said for the third time, looking to Jerusalem, I'm going to die there. And the disciples are going, why do you keep insisting you're going to die there? Okay, verse 35. As Jesus approached Jericho, a blind man was sitting by the roadside begging. When he heard the crowd going by, he asked what was happening. And they told him, Jesus of Nazareth is passing by. And I think, just kind of breaking into the texture, I think this is the crowd of people who've left Jericho and have gone to meet Jesus. They've not met Jesus yet. They're on the way. And this blind beggar is outside of Jericho begging looking for money. These folks are passing him by. They're going to pass by him again on the way back into town. And that's what happens in verse 38. They're not now on their way back to town with Jesus. This blind beggar calls out, having been informed that it's Jesus who's coming past, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. And those who led the way in this parade back into Jericho those who led the way rebuked him and told him, shh, be quiet, be quiet. But he shouted all the more, son of David, have mercy on me. Jesus stopped and ordered the man to be brought to him. When he came near, Jesus asked him, what do you want me to do for you? Lord, he said, I want to see. Jesus said to him, receive your sight. Your faith has healed you. 
And immediately he received his sight and followed Jesus, praising God. And when all the people saw it, they also praised God. And now we get into Jericho, the city itself. So the crowd of folks have gone out to meet Jesus. Jesus is is brought into the city. He's in Jericho, and this is interesting. Jesus entered Jericho and was, what are the next two words? Passing through. Hold on. That's not what you're supposed to do, Jesus. You're supposed to stay here and be accompanied to the home of the most impressive family in town. So he's breaking the rules here again. He's passing through. And a man was there by the name of Zacchaeus. He was a chief tax collector and was wealthy. He wanted to see who Jesus was, but because he was short, he could not see over the crowd. So he ran ahead and climbed a sycamore fig tree to see him since Jesus was coming that way. And when Jesus reached the spot, he looked up and said to him, Zacchaeus, come down immediately. I must stay at your house today. So he came down at once and welcomed Jesus gladly. And all the people saw this and began to mutter. He's gone to be the guest, not of the impressive family that we've selected, not of anybody even holy, not of anybody that we want representing our town. He's gone to be the guest of a sinner. But Zacchaeus stood up and said to the Lord, look, Lord, Here and now, I give half of my possessions to the poor, and if I have cheated anybody out of anything, I will pay back four times the amount. Jesus said to him, today salvation has come to this house, because this man too is a son of Abraham. For the Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost." And that's as far as we read. Don't close your Bibles. I want to take you back to the front of the text. We're just going to work our way through it again because this story is pretty amazing. And Jesus, like I said, is a master at seizing those teachable moments and helping people to understand things. They need to understand. So picture this. crowd of people leaving Jericho, going to meet Jesus. They pass a blind beggar. The blind beggar asks, who's on the way? You know, who's the VIP today that's coming into town? Jesus is. Oh, fantastic. The crowd goes farther on down the road to meet with Jesus. They begin to accompany him towards Jericho. Excuse me. And they pass the blind beggar, Barabbas, we find out from Mark. Barabbas is his name. And he starts shouting, (laughs) Jesus, save me. And the people leading the parade who are wanting Jesus to be impressed with their town are pretty upset with Barabbas, I'm imagining, at this point, because this guy, Barabbas, is a beggar. He's not putting a good face on Jerusalem. They would rather him just be quiet, slip into the background, and hush. Shh, Barabbas, quiet, quiet down. Well, Barabbas is a piece of work. (laughs) He just keeps yelling, Jesus, come save me. And Jesus hears. And Jesus knows that the Jews in Jericho are expecting the Messiah to be a powerful 
conquering king who's going to ride into Jerusalem on a horse of power and victory. And that he's going to gather unto himself all kinds of powerful people to, to be part of his army to kick out the Romans, all the enemies of God's people, and establish a throne in Jerusalem to which all the nations of the world will come. We can't see him spending any time with a little creep like Barabbas. But Jesus stops and recognizing this dynamic says to the crowd of people who want to shush Barabbas, hey, um, bring Barabbas to me. And so all of these people who are part of this crowd who've been wanting Barabbas to shush are now asked by Jesus to become courtiers who escort this valued guest to Jesus' presence. <laughs> Jesus, again, is blowing people's minds. Like, this is not the way a Messiah is supposed to act. He's not supposed to want to spend time with the beggars. He's supposed to want to spend time with all the VIPs in town. Jesus asks, asks Barabbas a question. Boy, I just took that step and landed it on my face. Um, Jesus asks Barabbas a question. What would, what would you like me to do for you? Sounds like kind of an interesting question, doesn't it? Um, the answer should be patently obvious. Barabbas is blind, heal him, he can see. But it's more complicated than that. Because for Barabbas, it's gonna be a, a decision not between seeing and not seeing, it's gonna be a decision between one kind of life and another kind of life. Does Barabbas want to remain in the life of a beggar where it's fairly predictable and stable and he begs every day, it's what he's used to doing, people give him money every day, it's what they're used to doing, and, and in fact, there's even a role in, uh, in Jewish, the Jewish ethos of the day for a beggar. When, when somebody would give a beggar some money, the beggar's job then was to stand up and shout to everybody around, hey look everybody, this person gave me some money, praise be to the God of heaven and earth, for this person, you should be admiring him too. Something along that line. That's the life um, that is one part of Barabbas's choice. The other, the other choice, or the other selection, the other option for Barabbas is to let that all go and rely completely on the grace of Jesus and the power of Jesus and the plan of Jesus to reshape his life. Barabbas is called to trust his familiar, familiar uh, story or trust Jesus. That's what's behind the question. So when Barabbas says, Lord, I want, I want to see. He's saying more than just, I just want my eyes opened. He's saying, no, Jesus, I want to leave that life behind. And I want to, I want to be with you. And Jesus heals him on the basis of his faith, as Jesus says in the text. Your faith has healed you. And Barabbas starts leaping and dancing and praising God. And all these people, it's interesting, they transition from, shh, Barabbas, we want you to slip into the background. They transition from that to leaping and dancing and praising God too. They're pretty happy about this. Except they're not, they're not happy for exactly the right reason. Uh, in their eyes, Jesus' miracle healing Barabbas is more evidence that he's the kind of powerful Messiah that's going to save Israel from the Romans. 
So they are, of course, leaping and dancing because they think this is just a prelude of what is to come. So you see Jesus seizing this teachable moment, helping the people there, at least trying to, helping them to see that the kingdom of God is not about riding into Jerusalem on a, a valiant steed. Instead, it's, the kingdom of God is about welcoming people like Barabbas, the marginalized, the hurting, those that people want to shush. The kingdom of God is to be full of people like this, like this Barabbas. And Jesus' identity as a Messiah is not founded upon what he will do to the Romans, but is founded on what he will do in Jerusalem on a cross. But these people still don't quite get it because they're, as I said, leaping and dancing for a, kind of the wrong reason. Well, um, Jesus makes his way now into the into the city of, of Jericho. And while we're watching in our minds Jesus making his way into the city of Jericho, you and I might start to think at this point in the story, we, we might start to think about all those times in the scriptures where people thought they knew what God was going to do <laughs> and where they thought they knew what God was all about. And their perceptions of God were changed. And I just have a little, a little list here um, for your consideration, okay? I, th I think about uh, all these people who kind of figured they knew what God was all about. I think about Joseph, sold into slavery uh, in Egypt and wondering, what on earth is God up to? I thought he was a God of faithfulness. And now I'm in slavery. Here's another name for you to think about as we're watching Jesus disrupting things, right, on his way into Jericho. I think about Job, confused by the string of tragedies that God was permitting to happen in his life. Uh, I thought God was a God of faithfulness and that life is supposed to be merry when, it, when you're one with God. What's up with this? I think about Saul on the road to Damascus, convinced of his rightness, and then hearing Jesus ask why Saul was persecuting him. I thought God was all about righteousness, following the rules, rewarding those who did. I thought that if I behaved myself, went to church twice on Sunday or once on Sunday or whatever, I thought if I sent my you know, kids to the right schools and so on, all would be well. Um, I was a Hebrew. Uh, the tribe of Benjamin. I had all the credentials taught, uh, taught by Gamaliel. Hmm. Jesus, you're blowing my mind here a little bit by insisting that I'm persecuting you. I think about Revelation 6. It's a little obscure text in that book that we are interested in and confused by <laughs> the book of Revelation. In chapter six, there's a, a whole collection of martyred saints who are hiding underneath the altar, and they're asking God the question, how long? How long, God, until you avenge our blood? We've been killed because we're believers. You're a just God. Could you let us know what time you're gonna enact justice? 
And the book of Revelation is the answer to that question. It's a way of saying to all the martyred saints, then and now, God wins. It'll come through all kinds of interesting things. His victory will, uh, but he wins. In the end, at a moment you don't expect. God seems to be in the business of disruption, doesn't he? Of uh, not meeting our expectations and blowing right past them. God seems to be in the business of, uh, of taking the boxes that we put him in and dismantling those boxes and informing us that he is much, much, much better than anything we might have boxed. So as we're watching Jesus go towards Jericho now, uh, you and I can expect that Jesus is going to be doing some more of this unboxing of himself, of resetting expectations of what a Messiah is to be, and of recalibrating people's understanding of what the kingdom of God is. And indeed, that's exactly what he does in another teachable moment. That's where chapter 19 begins. As Jesus makes his way through Jericho now, and the, Luke tells us that Jesus is passing through, there's another clue in the text that tells us that Jesus is now quite a ways outside of the city. We read about Jericho who climbed a, say it everybody, a sycamore tree, which were not permitted in Jewish towns. And in fact, there was a, a rule that said sycamore trees have to be so far outside of town because they're kind of messy. And they soak up all of the moisture in the ground. So our gardens are hard to raise. So we know, the Jewish readers certainly would know, Jesus is now well outside the city of Jericho. The crowd of people that went out to meet him is still accompanying him. They're still walking with Jesus, wondering where he's going to go next. And they're still with him, and lo and behold, they see the, they see the sycamore tree uh, a little ways ahead, and there's, oh, there's that fake Zacchaeus up in that tree. And he thinks, he thinks he's going to get a piece of Jesus. What well, the nerve of that guy. He's a tax collector, steals from all of us. He's a thief, steals from all of us. He's a traitor, stealing from all of us. How dare he expect that he's going to have a little conversation with Jesus, a little glimpse of Jesus. And all these offended Jews from Jericho start shouting insults up to, Jer up to Zacchaeus in the, in the uh, sycamore tree. And they, they're enjoying this, by the way, because there's so many people there that Zacchaeus can't tell Who's shouting which insult to him? And he can't, you know, get, get back at them next week by saying, oh, the Romans have a special tax just for you. So they're enjoying this. They're enjoying shouting insults up at Zacchaeus. They're shouting his name and making fun of how short he is. And they're just having a great old time. And Jesus is listening and watching. And he is forming the next teachable moment. And as he gets to that tree, and, and technically speaking, he's not supposed to go under the tree because there's an impure person in the tree, Zacchaeus, and anything that happens underneath that tree is declared by Jewish custom also then to be impure. So Jesus really ought to stay away from this sycamore tree. But instead, he marches right 
underneath it, looks up, and because he's heard everybody else shouting insults using Zacchaeus' name, he knows who this guy is. Zacchaeus, I'd like you to come down. And, and this is going to blow everybody's mind, I want to go to your house today. I want to go to your house, Zacchaeus. I don't need to go to the most impressive family in town. I really don't want to go to whoever is the best and most accomplished businessman in town. I have no interest in who holds power in this city of Jericho. I have no interest in who it is that when they walk into a room, everybody goes, oh, he's here, or oh, she's here. Zacchaeus, I want to go to your house. I want to go to your house, Zacchaeus. Let's you and I have a conversation. And as usual, <laughs> Jesus is using this moment as a teachable moment to say that my kingdom, the kingdom that I'm all about building while I'm here on earth, is not about meeting with the most impressive, important, strong, and wonderful people. It's about meeting those who are content to submit themselves to me, who will humble themselves before me, who will climb sycamore trees for me. Those are the people that I want to be with. Zacchaeus, I want to be at your house today. And isn't it interesting what happens to Zacchaeus as Jesus begins to spend time with him? You can picture maybe this short little guy coming down out of the tree, standing beside Jesus, and like the prodigal son who comes home and is transformed by his father's love, a story that Luke tells just a couple of chapters before, like the prodigal son who's transformed by the father's love, this short little man, this power monger, this uh, tyrant, this traitor, this thief is transformed by Jesus. It's interesting. It's one of the only places in all the New Testament where we see that grace actually does have this impact. It's one of the very few places where we see the outcome of a miracle. Lord, half my possessions, I think I want to give away to the poor. And if I have stolen anything from anybody, I will pay back four times the amount. And everybody's watching this conversation and listening in. And maybe they're getting the fact that the kingdom that Jesus is building is constructed differently. It rolls out differently. Its impact is different from what we would expect. This is nothing like what I thought a Messiah would be like. It's interesting that there's nobody in the crowd shouting at this point. Nobody in the crowd is shouting yes and amen like they did when Barabbas was transformed. And uh, the scholars that I've, that I've read have, have, uh, have indicated that it's probably because this is such an offense to them. The, the presence that Jesus offers to Zacchaeus is such an offense to them that they cannot bring themselves to say, yes. They can only watch in silence. Jesus the disruptor. 
Jesus is not the Messiah that anyone expects. It's important to know that uh, the kingdom that Jesus is building is open for all, especially those who uh, have no right to it, that his kingdom pays no attention to the distinctions that we make up between those who we think are acceptable and those we think are not, the rich and the poor, male and female, liberal, uh, conservative. The kingdom just doesn't seem to pay much attention to these distinctions. And this kingdom conquers not by military force, but by God's transforming love. His transforming love. This God who loves you so much that he knows every day of yours before any one of them came to be, who knows the number of hairs on your head, who has your name written on the palm of his hand. This God's transforming love builds kingdoms and wants you to be a part of it by submitting yourself fully to Christ. And if there is any part of your life that you've not yet submitted to him, he is calling to you today, this morning, what can I do for you? Do you want to see? Come down out of that tree and join me. Opt for the kingdom that God is building. Do you trust him that he loves you that much to offer this to you and to make good on his promises? Do you trust him? Do you trust him that far that whatever it is in your life you've been withholding from him, whatever it is in your life that you've been maintaining control of because you think that's the only way that life is going to roll forward well, are you ready to surrender that to Jesus? to follow his leading, to open that up to his light. Just ask Barabbas and Zacchaeus, and they'll tell you he's worth it. Would you pray with me? Holy Spirit, the word that you had such a strong hand in creating has been spoken. And even though it has been spoken by a crooked stick, we know that you can make all things straight. And we pray, Holy Spirit, that you would have your way with us. That whatever there is in my life, in our lives, that we have distanced from you, that you would disrupt our, our functioning, our way of being, that you would disrupt it and teach us today that you are good and worth trusting. Lord Jesus, thank you for walking into Jerusalem, through Jerusalem, or Jericho, I mean, and past Jericho. Thank you for meeting well with Barabbas and Zacchaeus. Would you meet us well also? We pray in your precious name, amen.